This is the Employment Law Show. You bet. It is 632 and welcome to it. It is the Wednesday night edition of it. We do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 630 to 7 o'clock. Tonight, our good pal Andrew Goldberg is here, courtesy Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP. The most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Going to be answering all of your questions. You want to call through and ask something. We uh, we tell you you can do it now for the next uh, you know almost half hour. That is 416-870-6400. Again, 416-870-6400. Emails if we try to get some of those later on. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website, anytime for advice that's anonymous, of course, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But here and now, bring it on. 416 870 6400 and we'll get to the topic of the day that is you have to do something about it if those are coming up and some emails like i said if we got time but we always start off with the case of the day andrew what's going on pal hey john uh i wanted to speak today about actually a consultation i had yesterday and it deals essentially with an individual who had worked for a company full-time for five years as an employee there was no dispute about it at that time and then, unfortunately for this person, he had some unexpected family circumstances, uh, which, you know, rendered him kind of unable to work on a full-time schedule. And he then began to work part-time for the better part of a year. And then, luckily, you know, that kind of resolved itself, and he returned to work on a full-time basis. Uh, a few years later, the pandemic started, and his company asked to make him a contractor, at least mm. on paper, saying, look, you know, you're not going to be on payroll anymore. We're going to pay you directly, no tax deductions uh, with HST. And, you know, then we could save on payroll tax. There'll be no CPP or EI. Good for the company. We're asking you to do this. And he said, sure, why not? Happy to do it. And, you know, just recently, after a couple of years, he was fired. And when he was fired, he was told, well, you're a contractor. There's no severance. And he called me up and he said, you know, Andrew, what are my entitlements, if any, in this situation? Because they're saying I'm a contractor. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, it was something we talked about on the show many, many times, that just because you're labeled a contractor or paid as a contractor, by no means, means, you know, evidences the fact that you are a contractor for the purpose of your legal entitlements. What matters is, you know, what is the relationship like? And, and the relationship really didn't change. He continued to work full-time, report to his manager, do the exact same job. It really was only on paper. And, you know, so he said, okay, so these two years count, and the last few years count, but what about that year I worked part-time, and what about all the years before that? And, you know, the same thing applies. You know, that year of part-time work would also count, and as would his five years before. So really, even though... He had a one-year period where he was only working part-time, and then recently he was switched to being a contractor. For all intents and purposes, he'd worked there about 10 years, and he should be paid severance as if he were a 10-year employee. And he was very shocked to hear this and pleasantly surprised. And it really just points to the fact that, you know, if you're ever terminated from your job, um, you know, you really got to consider all the years you've worked for the company, not just those that you were a full-time employee on payroll. What are some of the other pitfalls of, you know, for lack of a better word, pretending you're a contractor when you're not really, as he was before? Well, you know, the one thing which the company kind of indicated was a positive to the company, which it was, is, you know, they didn't have to remit for CPP or EI anymore. Right. Right. But 
great, good for the company, but now that they've let him go, he doesn't have any insurable EI earnings and he can't apply for EI because he hasn't been paying into EI, right? So that's a big one. He won't qualify for EI. And, um, you know, in terms of the misclassification issue, mm-hmm. you know, a company might try to say, oh, because you're a contractor, you don't get overtime pay. Because you're a contractor, you don't get vacation pay. Uh, you know, these kind of rules uh, around your employment rights don't imp- apply to you because you're not an employee, when in actuality, if you're misclassified as a contractor for the purpose of how you're paid, you still very well might be in, and very likely are entitled to things like overtime pay and vacation pay, et cetera, just as if you were an employee. So, you know, if you've been working as a like quote-unquote contractor the last bunch of years and you've been working over 44 hours a week, you very well, well might have, you know, two years plus of overtime pay owing to you, uh, even though you might not be fired at all. There's no severance implication. You might just have a claim for even just overtime pay, which can be quite significant in a lot of cases. Plus, there's also you can get into some hot water with CRA as well when it comes to the uh, the tax problem too, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, CRA at some point is going to start <laughs> looking into this. They they don't always, but if you you don't necessarily want to take that chance, right? You don't want to be on um, the wrong end of that yeah. uh, kind of um, you know run the risk on that to say, oh, CRA probably won't look into this because if they do, they might find that you know you weren't paying appropriate income tax on the earnings that you had made. And, and the same thing applies to companies. I mean, if you own a small business out there, uh, you know, you might have had to have been paying payroll tax and, and withholding more money from your employees at source to remit to the CRA on account of their taxes. And uh, you could get dinged pretty hard there. So, you know, while there might be some short-term gain in some ways, usually kind of the negatives will offset those positives, or at least the risks do. Yeah, it's interesting too. It's it's a really interesting uh, thing you brought up at the start of the show, and I think it's you know the contractor not contractor thing. That is not one of those things. As you said, this particular guy said, "Oh, okay, whatever, boss. That sounds good. I'm still working here." That's not one of those things where you can contract yourself out of it. Like you know, Jane, you could change of hours or a change of location after you accept it. It's 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 what it is. It doesn't matter what you say, even if you agree with your boss to become a contractor legally, you can't contract out of that, can you? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, imagine the the individual that I mentioned earlier, you know, if he came to me, he didn't bring this up, but if he came to me and he said, you know, Andrew, I know you're telling me that really I'm an employee and you can get me severance as if I'm an employee, um, but I agreed to be a contractor. Right. So can't he come back and turn around and say, the company turn around and say, you've agreed with this, like, why would I pay you severance? It, it really doesn't matter at all. It might piss the company off that you're trying to do that, but it doesn't change your rights, and they've just fired you anyway, so who cares what they think about you at this point? Again, 416-870-6400. You have questions for the show this evening. Bring them on. It's still early, 639. you got lots of time. Okay, you have to do something about it if, and these are the reasons why you want to give Andrew a call, get a hold of him at the firm, email him, whatever. Number one is this. You have to do something about it if you are offered a new employment agreement. That's always a massive red flag. Huge, huge red flag. And I just actually settled a file yesterday morning involving an individual who was offered a new employment agreement. I mean, the company kept trying to frame it that they were just slightly changing her, you know, compensation plans. 
but you know they added termination language, limiting their severance or attempting to language that allowed the company to put her on a layoff, all kinds of stuff. And they said, I'm not agreeing to sign this crazy agreement and giving up all my rights. And I was able to get them, you know, a very, very strong severance package, despite the fact that the company tried to make some futile argument that they should have signed it. And, you know, and the reason for that is because oftentimes, almost always, when you're presented a new employment agreement, the terms of that agreement are going to favor the company. It is going to contain many detrimental terms to you as the employee, giving up your rights to the company. So, you know, and they'll sneak these things in and they'll just say, oh, this is to kind of formalize this raise we're giving you or whatever, but really it's to sneak in a whole bunch of terms. And if you're ever offered a new employment agreement, read through that thing carefully, speak yeah. to a lawyer, get, you know, give us a call. We can do an hour consultation typically where we review the agreement, talk to you about the implications, because there could be some serious long-term implications and short-term if you sign that could cost you theoretically tens and tens of thousands of dollars. Does it matter if you sign that agreement, even though it could have some bad things, it's almost guaranteed to have bad things in it, but if you're not given what they call consideration, they don't throw you a bone for signing it, is it still legally binding, or at that point you're safe, you can throw it away? So it's a great point. There needs to be consideration for an agreement to be enforceable. You need to get something in return for, for the agreement to have effect. Now, that what you get in turn doesn't have to be fair, right? You could be giving up, you know, your severance entitlements, the, you know, your ability to work from home, like all kinds of, you know, very favorable things for 10 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. It could be very little as yeah. long as it's something. So the big thing to keep in mind is it doesn't have to be fair. It just has to be something. But, but number two, it's not as if you want to sign it knowing that, oh, I didn't get anything in return, so this thing's going to be garbage anyway. You know, it's still going to raise arguments about the agreement, and it still poses some risk. So, you know, that's definitely a plus. If you, if you did sign an agreement previously, but you didn't get a pay raise or bonus or something in return for signing it, you can kind of rest assured knowing that there's ways around it. But if, you know, we're working up to the agreement and you haven't signed it yet, there still might be better ways to address it than just knowing there is no consideration. Again, 416-870-6400. We'll get Jim here on the show before we uh, we take a short uh, short break. Jim, thank you so much for uh, for hanging on the line, pal. How are you? Good. How are you? Beauty. Uh, what, yeah, what's your question? I, I, I got a quick question. If, if, if COVID, and I had home for five days because I had COVID, and the company is going to give me three days, uh, six days. And I use those sick days, and then they tell me that for the other two days, I'm going to have to use my holidays. Is that legit? It's a very good question. And so when the government put put new legislation in place surrounding COVID and days off and things like that, they only provided for three paid days. Uh, Anything beyond that, it does the employer is not obligated to pay. You know, you, you might have a short-term disability policy uh, at your work, which would let you get paid through that mechanism, or it's possible perhaps to get EI payments if you talk to Service Canada. But after three days, there is no 
mandatory obligation to pay for the, the days off. They just have to ensure that you do get those days off if you're medically required to have them. Jim, appreciate the uh, quick call there and the question. Moving on to more after a short break, which we'll take now. you got some time. Grab a phone, just like Jim, 416-870-6400 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll continue the Wednesday night edition. This is the Employment Law Show. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show. It is 647, and welcome back to it. Thank you for hanging on. Yep, 416-870-6400. Back into our You Have to Do Something About It If topic here in just a moment, but always the phones are top priority. Love having you call in and contribute and ask your questions. We'll get to another caller here. Dateen is uh, is standing by, and good evening. How are you? Hi there. Good afternoon. Great to hear from you taking my call. I just have a quick question for you. Sure. Are you hearing me clearly? Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. So my question is, um, how does a person who is, say, after the um, 65 years navigate um, employment, if you're working, things are, you know, such that you need some stress leave past the five days, which is when your company will pay, and then the disability insurance or the insurance that is not company-owned should kick in? They, we have no access if you're after, if you're past the um, retirement age. What's the, what's available in the law? What provisions? Um, you just go home without pay? Yeah, so that's a, it's a tricky situation. I understand your, where you're coming from here. A lot of those um, disability policies, they do only cover to the age of 65. And companies themselves don't, have an obligation to pay for the entirety of, of your, your medical leave, and, this, and these disability providers don't have an obligation to continue at past 65 if that's a term of the policy. So unfortunately, there's not necessarily going to be much you can do on that side. The only thing that I can possibly think of is go to Service Canada and see if you could get EI sick benefits, because just like EI has an unemployment benefit, they also have a sick leave benefit. You'd have to get a record of employment from your company that says you're on a medical leave, um, but you could probably contact Service Canada to discuss that further. I see. So um, why isn't that discriminatory? Because, I mean, while you were, uh, I mean, beyond, uh, you know, after you, isn't that just some kind of discrimination in the law, which is anti the workplace law? I, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with the fact that it's, you know, your your concerns you have with it, but because there's no mandatory right to a disability insurer, companies aren't obligated to give that kind of insurance. Like there are many companies that don't provide any shorter long-term disability coverage, even for people at any age before 65. Um, as far as I know, the courts are, have not taken issue with the existence of the policy. Uh, limiting it to age 65. It's something that's regularly found in almost all policies, in fact. And, uh, you know, I'm not predominantly a disability lawyer. We have other lawyers at the firm that do kind of practice that. But I don't, from my perspective, because it's not a automatic right that you get as an employee, it's not something that's necessarily an issue, no. 
Again, the number to call in. Thank you for the call, by the way. 416-870-6400 is how you do that. 416-870-6400. Reaching Andrew after the show for questions. Uh, help at employmentlawyer.ca and one 821 5900 Let's move on to our next uh, point for the show, Andrew. That is, you have to do something about it if you are experiencing harassment at work. How about that? Cannot be taken lightly. No, it cannot be taken lightly. And this one is, is a source of frustration all you know, very frequently from people I speak with because, you know, they're, you know, the subject of very real harassment oftentimes from, let's say, a colleague or a couple of colleagues, but they haven't brought it up to human resources, their manager or their employer otherwise. And, you know, they come to me and they say they're sick of it. And obviously they can't continue working in that kind of environment. But until you, you know, give the employer a chance to act on it, by first communicating the issue to, you know, whatever it is, human resources or management, you know, or even if it's a smaller company, the CEO or what have you, and then act on it, it's not until they fail to act on it that you can kind of say that, you know, this is an unsafe workplace because my employer is not really protecting me in the workplace. There's obviously examples where, you know, the harassment so public that, it should be known by human resources or management or otherwise. But there's a lot of times that, you know, it is very much under the radar and people don't want to say anything because they don't want to, you know, stir up problems, which is, you know, understandable um, when when you're in that situation. Uh, But all that being said, if you want to kind of protect your rights to ultimately claim constructive dismissal by saying, I can't work in this toxic workplace full of harassment, you do have to document it and bring it to your uh, employer's attention. 416-870-6400. Let's grab another call as we uh, get through this Wednesday show. Jim, thank you for standing by. What is your question? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Uh, my employer is selling to a new company, and uh, the word is that they are going to terminate our contract and then offer everyone new contracts mm. and, uh, I guess, have the option to sign it or leave. My question is, um, are we entitled to any severance if we do not want to accept the new contract? That, Ed, Jim, thanks for calling. It, it, it's very possible that you are. It would depend on two things, really. One is the timing of all of this. You know, who, are you sure that it's kind of the new ownership that's terminating the contract or the old ownership? And, um, when that's happening relative to the sale and also the terms of these new contracts uh, compared to the existing terms that you had uh, previous to signing them. So what we need to know is kind of more information regarding timing and then also have the chance to review the agreements that they're expecting you to sign um, to kind of make that assessment. But it's very possible that, yeah, in fact, you are you know, entitled to refuse the new contract and treat that uh, your termination as a termination, obviously, and, and get severance without that, you know, your failure to sign the new contract prohibiting you from doing so. But I would strongly recommend that you, especially if this impacts multiple people, give us a call and give us, like, all the information, send us, you know, the contracts that are, I don't know, if it sounds like you might have not even received them yet, but once you receive them, send them over, arrange for a consultation, and then we can kind of give you, uh, you know, definitely more of a concrete uh, answer and better assurances because that's obviously going to have significant implications. Okay, awesome. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, we'll give your office a call. 
Yeah, Excellent, Jim. You. Appreciate that. Uh, appreciate that call, by the way, tonight. That's one eight five five eight two one. 5,900. And just, you know, in, in terms of what Jim's about to go through, if you know the, uh, the new company's going to scrap all the new con- uh, old contracts, bring out new ones, we've often said that's usually for the advantage of the new company. And it's probably something Jim should definitely be looking out for, yeah? 100%. I mean, oh. 100%. I just think 99 times out of 100, a contract is there to favor the employer. Because all the good parts of the contract, being your pay and compensation, and, you know, where you work, your hours, that's all entrenched by just, you know, the conduct that's already taken place. The fact that yes. you've been paid a certain amount of money, you've been able to work at home for a certain period of time, you've worked, you know, nine to five for a certain number of years. By doing all these things, those are already terms of your employment, whether they're in contract or not. All a contract is going to do is solidify those things that already exist or seek to change them to your detriment or add new things to your detriment. So there's very few things that can be added to a contract that are going to be favorable for you. If the company just wanted to pay you more, they could just do that without having any contract at all. Why right. they could just start paying you more on Monday? Yeah. And if they started paying you that amount for the next few weeks, a month, whatever, then contract or not, that's what you get paid. So Jim sends his contract over to you, Andrew. You look at it and say, no, I wouldn't touch this with a 10-foot pole. Who pays the severance, the company, the new company who's offering him the contract or the old company? If he's already employed by the new company, uh, the new ownership of the company, it was, assuming that he's employed by the new company, then it would be the new company. Okay. Um, but all that being said, sometimes as part of the purchase and sale, seller and purchaser have their own kind of background dealings, but that doesn't impact the employee's entitlements. If they, if the new group takes over for the old group and you're working for the new group and they fire you, they're paying your severance and they're inheriting your years of service. If they, if the old company's agreed to cover the, any severance claims from people that come out of the woodwork for the new company, that's for the ownership groups to work out. That has nothing to do with Jim or other employees. Got about a minute left to go. We got enough time to squeeze Ian in on the phone and get one final question. Uh, what would your question be, Ian? How are you? I got laid, I let go two days ago from my job because they were charging me, saying that I was doing another job on the side instead of working for them. I have an identical twin brother. I mean, spitting image, and they have him on video working, and they're saying that I'm doing two jobs instead of working for them. I said, "Listen, I have a twin brother." Here's a picture. Showed him a picture. He said, no, that's not true. I said, okay, I'm telling you it's true. Sorry, no. You're, we're letting you go with cause. I said, okay. I said, do you know that I'm going to contact Samar? On t- uh, <laughs> Samar? He goes, who? I said, that's okay. Don't worry about it. So that's why gotcha. I'm calling you. What do you think about that one? All right. Well, well, assuming that that's the case, I've already about to believe you, then you're absolutely, that's not cause. And I don't think you could write a like a better like not to, I know it's a crappy situation for you, but I've never heard that's a very unique situation. But certainly your own severance. If you have a twin brother that's working another job, that has nothing to do with you. Um, uh, you're, but uh, call us and we'll sort you out. 
And that is it for another evening. Good way to uh, good way to wrap it. We're back in tomorrow at six thirty. Want to reach Andrew and the team now that we are done? One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred and help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time tomorrow. Employment Law Show.